and welcome to SEMA's podcast, Y'all Ready for This, where we talk about all things emergency preparedness to help you and your family get ready for any type of natural or man-made disaster right here in Chatham County. This week, I'm so excited to open the gates and open the floor up to the Humane Society for Greater Savannah. We're talking with Courtney and Montana today about some of the things that they do at the Humane Society, what the purpose of the Humane Society is, and then most importantly, how you can prepare your animal for an emergency in Chatham County. Yes, you heard me correctly. Your furry family members need an emergency plan too. And we'll talk about what that looks like and what you need to, be, to have to be prepared. So I'm going to start off today introducing Courtney and Montana. You guys, can you just tell me who you are, what you do at the Humane Society, and I guess just a little bit about what you do. Um, I'll go first. So I'm Courtney. I am the public programs coordinator. Um, and that just means that I focus on things that have to do with community outreach, um, things that will help our community to grow stronger, uh, will help people who may be in between jobs or who may be looking for extra help. Um, so I do the TNR program that we actually have partnered with Chatham County Animal Services on. Um, we actually have a new food pantry, so we're doing distribution drives as well. Um, and then just anything in between, if people reach out to us and they have some need that they can't find here at our shelter, then I'm the one who'll talk back and, and reach out to them. Great. Well, welcome, Montana. Hey, guys. I'm Montana. I'm the development and foster coordinator at the Humane Society. Um, so a large part of my role is prepping for these disasters. So I'm excited to talk to you about that as well um, with our hurricane season fast approaching us. Um, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Well, wonderful. It sounds like we have two great subject matter experts to join us today on the podcast, you guys. I'm so excited. So I guess let's go ahead and start off with a little bit of an explanation about what the Humane Society is. I feel like sometimes there's this misconception. What's the difference between Humane Society and Chatham County Animal Services and, uh, and kind of understanding. It's a little strange. You guys are located in the same location, kind of. I mean, kind of right in front of um, the Animal Services building. So what do you guys do on a day in and day out basis? Montana, do you want to take this one? Sure, I can take this one. So um, we are located um, one right in front of the other. Um, and it actually can be quite a benefit to be located so closely because we do pull a lot of our animals from animal services, um, which is really nice. We have a great um, partnership and relationship with them as well, um, especially when it comes to sharing supplies or donations. We work closely with them to make sure all the animals are um, being taken care of and everything's good to go. Um, some of the main differences is that we are 100% um, nonprofit. So the city um, does not control us, whereas animal services is run by the city. Um, another big difference is that we are primarily an adoption center. Um, and so one that some people find confusing is that we don't take in any legally all stray animals. Courtney? We can yeah. hear you now. Yeah, we can hear okay. you now. <laughs> yeah, so I think Montana was just saying, just gonna uh, review that last part, it kind of cut out. 
that one big difference, and this is um, the biggest thing I would say that people have a misconception about, is that we are two different entities. Uh, while we do work together and help each other out when we can, like Montana mentioned, there is nothing that ties us together necessarily as organizations. Um, like she said, they're run by the city. They have a city budget that controls what they do. Whereas we are a private nonprofit, we don't get any funding from the Humane Society of the United States or from any other organization other than private donations, um, donations monetarily or supply donations. We also have the thrift store. So if you've ever been here, you know that the upstairs is a thrift store. And then right beside us, we have um, a couple other buildings that have some bigger items. And 100% of the proceeds from those come down to help the, um, the care and the cost of you know, taking care of all these animals. Wow. You know, I mentioned right before we started, you guys, that I love doing this podcast because you learned so much about Chatham County and, and the organizations that make up Chatham County. So thank you for explaining a little bit about, um, you know, the differences between the two. Um, Montana, do you mind giving us a little bit of an idea of some of the events and types of programs that exist at the Humane Society? So in the last year, we've um, started nine new programs, which is really exciting. Um, we've kind of been going full speed ahead when it comes to developing, as well as um, kicking it into full gear and touching bases where we haven't been before. Um, some of the programs that Courtney actually runs are the TNBR program, um, which has expanded. This will be our first kitten season with the TNBR program, so we're really excited about that. Um, our food pantry program has also expanded to the point where we need a separate storage unit um, for it. So that's amazing. Um, due to COVID, we did see an increase in use in our food pantry. Um, so it allowed us to um, partner with other organizations like greatergood.org, which um, gives us donations, um, which are so large <laughs> that we needed a full separate facility to store them. Um, we also have programs like our um, to help with adoptions. So like our doggy day out, a program which allows dogs to go out on adventures. It gets them seen in the public eye rather than just at the shelter. So it allows um, kind of a happier interaction with them. It also provides mental and physical benefits as well. Another new program we have that launched this year was our story time with seniors, um, where seniors will book in um, to read a children's book. We then record them and give children in Savannah a bedtime story. So. Those are just a few of the programs that we offer right now. Wow, that is incredible. Uh, to operate solely as a nonprofit and be able to run and manage all those programs and that they're expanding so much that you need an entire storage unit uh, to store all these, these items. That's incredible. I absolutely love that. Um, okay, so let's see. Um, my next question, I want to kind of shift gears just a little bit um, and talk a little bit more about this disaster preparedness. I kind of said in my opening that, yes, your furry family members need to have a plan for an emergency. Courtney, can you talk a little bit about what that plan should look like and what pet owners should be doing to make sure that their pets are ready? Sure. Um, so first, we here in Savannah, um, in low country, we have to prepare for the kind of natural disasters that we may encounter. Um, we're not so much going to see things like snowstorms, but we do see a lot of hurricanes, 
um, just flooding, you know, when we have weeks and weeks of rain on end. Um, and then, like you said, man-made things like um, accidents, fires, and things that happen that, of course, we have to prepare for. We hope never happens, but we want to be ready if they do. Um, so I have my notes here just so I don't skip anything. Um, but first, like I said, you want to just think about what type of disaster you are planning for. Um, and then once that happens, once you have in your mind, okay, say we are going to anticipate a hurricane since every year we have hurricanes, it seems like. Um, some of the things that you'll want to do ahead of time are number one, make sure that your pet has identification on, make sure that it is microchipped if that's something that you haven't done yet. Microchipping is super simple. Um, it's very cost effective. I believe it's $25 at PetFix. They do that on a walk-in basis during their vaccine clinics. And that would be Monday through Thursday from one to 3 p.m. Um, walk-in, say you'd like your pet to be microchipped. They do that, takes about five seconds. And then you just have to make sure that the microchip is registered under your correct information. If you change phone numbers, move, you wanna add another family member or a roommate to that, that you go on the, on the website that's gonna be provided to you and you put that information in. Um, the rabies tag also is very important because that's gonna show what county the animal is in and your information with animal services is linked with that particular rabies tag number. So if somebody doesn't know about microchipping, a lot of people, um, it's just something new to them, then if they have a rabies tag on, it's visual, they can see it on the collar, that's another way that they can then trace back to you. Um, you wanna have the vet records that you have for your animals printed out up to date. A lot of people like to keep uh, a file, just like a little folder maybe, where they have other important documents that has medical records for your pet. You can also go to the extent of having a photo that's of your pet and yourself, uh, making sure that you can see any distinguishing markings that your pet may have. Um, you know, a lot of our, our pets may tend to look like what we call Savannah brown dogs. <laughs> You're not really sure what kind of breed it is. Um, so any little thing that's going to differentiate your pet from other dogs that may look similar or cats that may look similar, you, you want to go ahead and document. And that's just going to be that much easier to get that pet back to you. Um, so once you have all of your documentation, all your identification ready to go, then you want to probably talk to your friends and family, your neighbors, try to set up some sort of uh, buddy system almost. Make sure that, you know, if your neighbors also have pets or don't, but know your pets, that you can communicate when the threat of an emergency is coming. You guys can maybe plan together if one person cannot evacuate maybe their pets go with somebody who is going to evacuate. Um, you just want to make sure that other people know what your plan is, because then as things continue, we all know that sometimes we don't see it happening until two days prior. Sometimes we think an emergency is going to be um, a disaster and it turns out to not be so bad. So you just want to make sure other people know what your plans are and where you might be, um, you know, just in case that it is a, a real emergency. Um, let's see, if you do plan to evacuate, if that's something that you're thinking of ahead of time, which you know, I would encourage everybody to have a plan at least in place. Um, you know, If we do have something really big that causes a mandatory evacuation, 
Um, I would look at hotels that are pet friendly or Airbnbs that are pet friendly, probably within about a 60 mile radius at the minimum. You wanna make sure since we are on the coast that you're looking inland. And there's a lot of hotels that are pet friendly these days. Um, so you just have to make sure that not only do they allow pets, but you'd wanna know if there is an additional pet fee Sometimes it's a nightly pet fee. Sometimes it's a one-time pet fee, but you just, you don't want to go into it um, blind and then have to deal with that, you know, in the middle of an emergency that you're also having. Um, and then the last part is about preparing the supplies. So sometimes people will create an emergency pet kit ahead of time. You can have one that's maybe a little bit larger. It has heavier items, bigger items that you can store in your home if you don't plan to evacuate. But if the power goes out, if you lose water, things like that happen, you do want to have those supplies ready. And then you could create a smaller kit that maybe you keep in your car or you keep in your garage, someplace that you can just grab and go. And that would also have enough supplies to last you. Usually we say about five days. You never know how long you're going to be out, but you know if you have just just enough to keep you through a majority of a week, then at least at least you're good and you can keep buying more things later on if you end up staying longer. So those things to include in the pet kit, um, I would definitely suggest food and water, obviously whatever type of food your pet is used to. Sometimes if you do end up at a shelter or you end up someplace. Uh, where they do have extra supplies, donations. Certain pets are on certain diets. Some pets only eat wet food. You know, there's just some things that depending on your pet, you want to make sure you're prepared for. Any medicine that they may have, um, you can talk to your vet definitely about getting any extra dosages of medicine or talking to them about what are the necessary medicines that your particular pet might need in the case of an emergency. Um, you also want to make sure you have either a carrier for a cat or a small dog. You want to make sure you have leash and collar or a harness um, for a larger dog. Just something so that you can make sure that that animal is tied to you. You can get up and go and you don't have to search around for something um, in the last minute. Any grooming items. Again, this is very pet specific, um, but if you have an older pet or if you have a pet with special needs, then you do want to make sure that the same things that you can provide on a daily basis that really give that pet a good quality of life, you're able to continue because we never know how long you might be gone or how long it might take to get back to your normal lifestyle. Um, and then lastly, I would just say to keep your pet calm, to make sure that you know they feel as comfortable as possible in the midst of chaos anything that's familiar to them, something that has their scent on it, maybe a favorite tennis ball, maybe a blanket that they lay on, maybe set that aside in your kit and that way it does provide an element of comfort to your animal in an unknown place. A lot of them Yeah, so Courtney, you cut out just a little bit towards the end there, um, but the information that you just provided was absolutely fantastic. And honestly, I don't really think that I can add much to it. I mean, that was amazing um, to be able to really give people from A to B the types of things that they need to be doing to prepare for an emergency and down to items that they can include in their emergency kit. That 
was amazing. I'm so grateful that you were able to share some of those tips with our listeners today. Um, one thing that Courtney did mention that I, I just want to harp on just for a second um, is making sure that you have an evacuation plan. Please, please, please keep in mind that, yes, yeah, so like Courtney said, a lot of hotels and motels are now accepting animals that it is not required for them to accept animals. A lot of times we'll receive phone calls during a mandatory evacuation saying, hey, I'm at, a, I'm at this hotel outside of Macon or outside of wherever, and they're saying my animals aren't allowed to come in aren't they required to accept animals? And the answer is no, they're not. They're a private business and they're not required to accept animals even during a mandatory evacuation. So there are lots of different resources available to help you find pet-friendly hotels. And just make sure that you go ahead and plan some of those out. Have a list of places that you could call if you know there's even rumors of a, a mandatory evacuation or an evacuation order. And start calling down those and saying, hey, do you have any availability? I promise you it's gonna save you so much more time during that emergency event if you just plan a little bit ahead of time. Also keep in mind that not all shelters, if you have to find yourself in a shelter during a hurricane, not all shelters are required to take animals. Um, so just keep that in mind as well. But other than that, you guys, that was amazing. Courtney, I love all the tips that you were able to provide. Uh, so to get ready to wrap up this week's podcast, I just have one quick question for you. Maybe not so quick. I'm not sure. Uh, if you had a piece of advice for every pet owner in Chatham County, just one piece of advice, what would that be? I'll go and then Montana can add hers in too, because I'm sure she's going to have something from a different perspective. <laughs> um, I would say for mine, it's a twofold piece of advice. I would say number one, make sure you get your pet spayed or neutered. That can prevent a lot of issues later on that no one likes to deal with. Um, it can prevent overpopulation. It can prevent actually certain types of cancers. Um, it can help behavior in male dogs especially. Um, it can prevent the, the urge for pets to go out and roam and find mates so they'll stay with you where they're supposed to in their fencing yard. Um, and the second thing would kind of go along with that and that would be microchipping. So in the case that your pet does um, get separated from you for whatever reason, we have heard of things as simple as my roommate left the gate for the fence open by accident and my dog decided to go on a little adventure. Then at least you do have something that's attached to the pet that has your information that can never be lost. A microchip is in a pet for life. And again, just make sure you register that microchip and keep it up to date with your information. And then all I was going to add, um, I actually had something to add with the disaster preparedness. So two things as Courtney, as you were talking, I was thinking of, um, one is bringfido.com is a excellent resource for dog owners. Um, everything from hotels, restaurants, everything on that website is dog friendly. So it's a really quick way to look up um, if you're going to a specific location, it will pull up all of the hotels in the area that are dog friendly. So it, um, you don't have to search around then. Um, and another thing is crate training. Crate training is so important um, for evacuations, um, just in case like my dogs typically aren't in crates. So they don't need to be crates, they're not destructive. However, we do crate train in the case of emergency if we have to go somewhere that 
um, does not allow dogs or does not allow dogs roaming freely, um, then they are crate trained and they're comfortable. Um, so that's another thing. And then my piece of advice would be a tired dog is a happy dog um, and it will um, relieve a lot of stress from you. So if your dog is excessively barking, if your dog is destructive, if your dog has um, certain qualities that you're not really enjoying, um, maybe an extra walk or two could help tire that dog out and that dog is not going to be doing the things that you don't want it to do because they'll be too tired. <laughs> So a tired dog is a happy dog. Those are really great pieces of advice. Uh, I very much enjoy that. And honestly, Montana, I, I need to take that, that advice for myself. My dog barks just a ridiculous amount. And she's probably just really excited about everything. So I will, I will take that piece of advice. All right. Well, that is our time this week. Thank you both so much for joining us today on this week's episode of our podcast. Uh, be sure to tune in next week when we meet with Kelsey with the American Red Cross to talk about how you can become Red Cross ready. We'll see you then. Thanks so much.